The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Anthony Curry of Reuters Breaking Views. Is anything more fundamental to business than reliable access to water? Without it, crops fail, power stations shut down, employees get sick and the economy tanks. Severe water shortages in major cities from Chennai to Cape Town to Sao Paulo have reinforced the danger we face and climate change is making it worse. Increasingly though, companies and even governments are waking up to the risk and to the opportunities this presents. Wall Street, though, has yet to dive in. Torgny Holmgren, Executive Director of the Stockholm International Water Institute, which organises the city's annual World Water Week event, explains to us why that is, how it's starting to change, and how the combination of good ideas, proper governance, and yes, the injection of more money, can help solve the crisis and even earn investors a decent return. So, Torgny, thanks so much for coming on the, on the exchange. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. So, look, we've got uh, World Water Week uh, happening in Stockholm this week. It's absolutely amazing event. I've been once before. Now, tell me, before we jump into the business of water, um, why is it that, that you decided uh, many years ago now to have an entire week dedicated to uh, the issue of water? Okay, thanks a lot, mate. Here, so bring you back 100 years ago when Stockholm was one of the most ugly cities in Europe on water quality. We had, well, maybe late 1800s, we had cholera epidemics and mortality was high, etc. So the city council realized we have to do something about water because water is life. And that is the way that you improve the uh, health situation and living standard of living on the population. So started slowly to invest in water works, wastewater treatment plants by the 60s that have improved. And then it was like, we should have the best water quality in Europe and in the, in the world in 1990s. So that was the... Uh, vision and mission was completed, accomplished in early 1990s. Time to celebrate. A big festival, the Stockholm Water Festival was established with hundreds of thousands of people coming to Stockholm for a full week of celebration of, of, uh, based on the beauty and water of the Stockholm. At that time, the leadership of that conference, of, of, that, of that festival thought we should have some more serious business. So they introduced the Stockholm Water Prize to be recognized to an outstanding personal organization having done something uh, uh, to improve the, the state of the water in the world, as well as starting with a two-day symposium for scientists from all over the world. So first, yeah, 1999, 1991, some 200 people met for two days, the Stockholm Water Symposium, to, to share with each other how to combat or how to deal with freshwater issues around the globe. That continued for a few years. The Stockholm Water Prize was awarded by the King of Sweden, the patron, and this symposium continued. But 10 years after that, they started, well, maybe not only scientists, but also to bring in other actors on water. So it started slowly to invite government representatives, international organizations, uh, civil society, and that was the start of World Water Week, uh, which now has become the annual leading global event on water and this year we count to have some 3,800 people from more than 130 countries coming to Stockholm for a full week. And the fact that it is the final week of August, why? Because that was the week when the Stockholm Water Fest Festival took place 30 years ago. So that was the origin to make a right. short story long, long story short. <laughs> but uh, so it was an add on to a festival which has now become a world leading institute and world leading event on water. 
Excellent. Thank you. And as, as I look at it from, from our perspective, uh, uh, Reuters looking at business and finance, I see um, some pretty big names. I think the likes of AB InBev and Diageo uh, and Gap uh, and uh, other big drinks-based and consumer-based goods companies like Coca-Cola have been coming for years, obviously. I mean, it's unsurprising, I suppose, given that water is the very basis of everything they do. This year, I noticed you've got, uh, I think, Microsoft again, but that has been there before. Apple's making a big play this year, having an event of its own. So I'm beginning to see um, more and more business coming. But when I look, say, uh, what would be the, the heart of finance from our perspective, so investors uh, and the, the banks, there doesn't seem to be many coming. So I know HSBC is there, ING comes along, obviously the Swedish banks are often involved. But what is it? I mean, I, I look at this and I see it's such a big, okay, it's a big risk for businesses and everyone, but it's also a big opportunity. And there's a lot of money at stake here. I think when I was there two years ago, uh, the president of Hungary was saying look, it's a $12 trillion opportunity basically needed to be spent by 2030. And yet investors and big banks don't seem to be at World Water Week en masse. Why do you think that is? Is it that, that people aren't selling the water story enough or what's missing, do you think? I think what we realize is a growing interest, uh, some parts of the world rapidly growing interest from business society and also investor community in water. Uh, I think it has been to a large extent over the years a kind of public affair. Bring us water and we have taken water for granted. Wherever, wherever we have our production facilities. But that has now come to an end because I th- think a number of businesses realize that you cannot count on having clean water available on your premises uh, or for your production. So that is what we're less. And I get more and more uh, indications and also interest uh, from business society, be they manufacturing industry, but also service providers and investors more and more, because I think two points. For investors, you realize that invest in long term, I think business are more long term than governments because they have to think at least 15, 20 years ahead. Do you get the place where location where you can count on having water, number one? And second, if not, that could be the investment decision. The second risk, running out of water. If you run out of water, you cannot produce anything. And businesses that have experienced that, they really know how to what to what kind of decisive matters in the future investment. So I think there is a growing still interest from or well nowadays I get access to more pension funds, investors, financial sector partners in water. But why isn't that uh, cascading interest? Because I think, like the Hungarian president, there is a lot of money in the water sector. Mm. They're not making money. I think that is the main difference if I compare to energy sector. If I look at energy over the last 30 years, maybe 40, but let's say 30 years, there is a really close interlinkage and correlation between water and energy. You cannot produce more energy without having water. And some 20 25% of water withdrawals on a daily basis go for energy production. But there are symmetries and asymmetries. As the energy sector, you have a real push for technological advancement and driving price and driving also investments. And uh, you, today we use less and less energy per unit produced. I think in the water sector or in the water, for the water, we are not there yet. So we have overused water. And why is that? I think we haven't put enough value of water. It's uh, to some extent it's underpriced, it's overused, 
and how to make the incentive systems work that you really value water as a matter of, I mean, for, for not only human beings, but also for production. I think that is one, one key component. The other maybe is the, how the market looks like. If I look at energy, you have global companies setting worldwide prices on oil and gas. Water is very local. It's a local commodity. In our country, I think we have 200 plus municipalities uh, having the responsibility to provide water, but also setting the price of water. So you don't yeah. have the common market. So water provisioners are small. You don't have these global companies like in, in oil and gas, for instance, in energy. Uh, but I think the water community in that extent can learn from from energy. How did it rapidly the change that taking place right now happen, and what is the driving force for technological investment in energy that we can learn from the water? I do see trends nowadays that you in care in areas where you really are really close to running out of water. I see a driving force from a technological uh, uh, perspective, but. I think the price mechanism is not there yet. That's one of the issues I, I, I've sort of been looking at as well. So you know, if, if you look very generally at, say, I compare water to climate risk a lot. And I think, well, frankly, they are intertwined. Like you said, there's so much energy that goes into yeah. uh, getting water to us. I was listening to, to uh, someone from um, the Australian state of Victoria the other day saying that 25% of the state's emissions uh, come from water services, half of which comes from just um, getting water to people in Melbourne, the biggest the biggest um, city in the state. And you can see that across across the world. And yet, you know, that that. There is no real recognition that, on the one hand, water uh, is, or getting people water, is a big contributor to carbon emissions. And on the other hand, I think I'm going to quote the the head of um, CDP here, who I think years ago said, coined it very well and said, you know, if climate change is a shark, then water is its teeth. It's how everything is felt, right? So you think there would be a lot of willingness to think, okay, what are the technological solutions we can come up with, both in developing and developed countries where so much needs to be done? And I, you know, I think I'm going to push back a bit on you here about whether money can be made. I think it might need a bit more time to think through, but people like uh, what's the, the the water service company Xylem put out a great report a few years ago saying that wastewater companies can use current technology uh, to improve and uh, their uh, their operations, reduce uh, their carbon emissions, and pr- most of them would either break even or make money from it. Which to me means, if you're a municipality looking to raise money, there's an easy sell for your municipal bond or the equivalent thereof. And I think that's probably the case with technology as well. It's just like you said, people aren't really looking at it in the way they look at uh, carbon because you know, there is you can you can come up with a carbon price. It might be local, it might be national, you might be able to trade it. But water, the price differs so much and. You know, I don't get the sense that even companies that think about water necessarily come up with, say, an internal water price like maybe Shell would for carbon. I don't know. I mean, maybe they are. But all these things make it, I suppose, a lot more difficult, don't they, for, for companies, businesses, banks and you know, governments, let's be honest, to think about how to, to change how they, how they address the issue. No, that, that's, that's very true. I can give you or provide some examples. Uh, and I, I, I do agree on the technological side. But... Uh, uh, one example where an area where we have been uh, working ourselves from the civil perspective is that we have worked with the Swedish textile industry, which are some 35 mm-hmm. brands, uh, from IKEA, HM down to the small and medium-sized enterprises. They, they came to us seven years ago and said, well, we use a lot of water in our, our supply chain. 
and supply and factories are not in Sweden, they are in China, India, Bangladesh, Turkey, Ethiopia, right. everywhere. How can we improve the way that we use less water and contain, contain less water? So we produced guidelines jointly together with this uh, industry-wide approach. And uh, guidelines are guidelines and can put them on the shelf and then forget about it. But some companies started to invest to use those guidelines in some factories in India. And the outcome was quite interesting. It was successful. I mean, interesting was that still water is a low part of the, of, of the production factor on your, on your bill. It's very low cost for water. But what was the correlation be between water and energy and chemical use? That made an impact because you started to invest in recycling water. You depend on your own water rather than the water from, 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 from the pipes or the public provisioner. And that meant also that you started to reduce use of energy as well as mm. chemicals and then realized from senior management, oh, this is a cost-cutting exercise. We even make profit out of, of starting a water. But on the bill, it was mainly energy and cli uh, sorry, <laughs> chemicals that lowered lower the, the, the production cost. And I think things like that, when you start to with water, because water is so closely correlated to most of the products that we, that we do, do, do consume on a daily basis, so that has been successful. We have now hmm. uh, expanded this program to China and India and Bangladesh and other places. And now there is some of the companies that we work with have, have also told us that in their supply chain or in their production in the factories, when they have run out of water, what the cost it takes on the company. So that, of course, starting from the risk side, but right. that is a disaster. I mean, maybe it can be doubt for energy because you have a reserve energy supply, but you don't have anything else like water. So now the companies that start to really invest in, in recycling water, look after the water bill, also have water catchment, etc. I think they will they have a competitive advantage to their, to their competitors in the future because they're looking after the house. So that is also now starting to happen. In 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 the, in the front runners, I would say, in in different industries. And one third example is when a few years ago the uh, flooding in Thailand meant that you couldn't um, produce. Uh, I think it's a semiconductor industry up there uh, that already supports more or less of all all computers in the world, and they had to stop that production for a number of weeks, which right. meant that IMF. Well, they had a lowering of global GDP due to that, yeah. and uh, all our producers or computers couldn't do that. So industry after, after industry, it's not only those like textile. I mean, they are the main water user, one of the largest water users in the world, but also, of course, um, food, beverage, mining, energy, etc., etc. And I think those companies that start now to look after our house, they have a real advantage because, as we know, we have a lot of scarcity or shortages of water around the world as the demand is increasing rapidly requirements for water and um, to be look after your house and to invest in the future do it on the water even if at yeah. as of today it's not in that sense maybe the money making like you can do in with other in other production factors but i think it's also maybe for medium term or long term it's a really good investment i think that is also why at least some investors now are starting to look into, well, this is something that we need to take into account when we do our investment decisions.
No, that's that's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I, I speak to investors, it, it's strange, actually. Sometimes it's changed a bit now. But if I said, say, three or four years ago to them, look, let's let's talk about climate change and sustainability, I said, oh, we don't want to talk about that. It's just green stuff. I said, OK, well, how do you think about risks if you're investing in a in a, a drinks company like uh, Coca-Cola? They said, oh, well, you know, we look we look about water and access to water. Said, OK, well, that's a climate risk issue. That's a sustainability issue. And some of them would look at some of these issues, but they wouldn't call it climate. And I think that's part of the issue. We don't always see how investors are thinking it through. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I, I think on, on the risk perspective, I think some of them get it. And they also look at some of the opportunities. So some of the sort of waterless products that, uh, you know, Procter & Gamble and others are coming up with, uh, you know, washing hair and whatever. I think investors, are, uh, when they think about opportunities, are beginning to sort of get the joke that, you know, there is a very that water is a very integral part of what so many of these companies do, and I think that is beginning to filter. Pardon the pun, beginning to filter through to some of them at least. Yeah, uh, on, on the climate or area or issue, we have been together with others. But thank you from civil standpoint, we have been working quite hard since Paris, or Copenhagen COP15 of bringing up the issue of water as the climate, not only negotiates, but the climate agenda. Yeah. Because climate, of course, discussions are mainly about energy, not to yeah. go above two degrees centigrade in, in increase in gas, gas uh, GHG emissions, etc. But now we have, I think, together with our network, also not only climate change discussions on the COPs, but we have an official water day. It's more and more being counted into as an aspect because we claim that water, climate change is water change. You get either too much water or too little water, drought or flood. Yes. And I think that has been realized in so many parts of the world today. Just like the, uh, every year now we have a, a, a kind of a disaster, looming disaster coming close in, in the city concept. Three years ago, Sao Paulo was more or less out of water and they are 25 million people. It's quite a huge city or area. And then yes. we had Cape Town a year ago, day zero, 11th of April. Cape Town really ran out of water. And just a few months ago, Chennai in India. So, uh, and being without water, not only for uh, in, in, the, in the manufacturing industry, but also for, for households, that is really a disaster. I mean, yes, absolutely. things like that happened. And uh, a few years ago, we... Uh, recognized the city of Durban in uh, in South Africa uh, or the region surrounding Durban at the Queen region for their uh, very forefronting way of handling and governing water uh, in the way that uh, tariff setting provision etc to kind of creating the incentive structure that you have the water you have but how to allocate it more effectively so I think there are areas or cities where we can learn from how they de really handle the water issue, and that is also something that is mm. now on the on the on, on on I think on the agenda for many areas around the world. Also, that yeah. um, we need to be more smart, more effective in the way that we handle water, and uh, not there are governance aspects, incentive schemes. I think incentives, and of course you need incentives. I mean. I spoke to the persons running Sao Paulo water. What did you do? I mean, you had just a few weeks of reserve supply. Mm. Of course, we did, did the tariff change immediately. 
And yeah. so they did in, 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 in Cape Town and Cape Town. There was a massive information campaign. That's quite interesting. They started months ahead, maybe a whole yeah. year ahead. Christmas time in Cape Town, you don't have Merry Christmas and you have save water signs all over the place. Yeah. Well, I think it was the same in the in the the was it the the, the Great Millennium Drought or whatever they called it in in Australia, yeah. um, fifteen twenty years ago, where they really got um, people's uh, personal water use per day way down. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we saw that also in California yeah. uh, in the in the water scarcity issue there earlier uh, this decade. But I think it's it's crept up a bit. Um, but here's the thing I want I want to sort of point out. So you mentioned we walked talked about. Uh, the price of water a bit earlier on. You just mentioned governance. And as I look at a lot of water issues, I see governance being a big problem. So in Sao Paulo uh, and in Cape Town, uh, one of the big issues there is that um, the various local, state and federal governments have uh, different roles and responsibilities. Often they would be different political parties as well, which didn't help. Um, And I see that also, say, in the Colorado River Basin here, Mm -hmm. where you've got, uh, here in the States, where you have... Um, seven states plus Mexico relying on um, poor data from 100 years ago that's uh, an an agreement that split up the water between those uh, eight different political entities uh, that now no longer makes sense but because you've got water rights from owning the land from even before 100 years ago um, it makes decisions on where to allocate water and how to do it very difficult and as we looked at it we also saw that investors and banks were just basically ignoring the entire risk uh, to their business of of what was happening in the Colorado River Basin so but governance seemed to be at the center of it so let me put this to you if if you were, if this is a good way of putting it if you were to say okay there's pricing issues there's governance issues along with many others which one of those do you think is is more of a problem is it governance or pricing or can you not in fact delineate between the two well, I think it's an intermarriage in some way. I think governance plays a very critical role. Our experience is that, and we work with countries, cities, municipalities all over the world, and irrespective if you have plenty of water or little water, it's how you govern it, I think. And governance can take many different shapes, of course, incentives, systems, uh, legislation, etc., but also water rights, as you mentioned. That is quite interesting. I Just one comparison, mm-hmm. a few years ago, I had the Jordan Prime Minister and the Water Minister from Jordan had World Water Week, and how could you handle 1.5 million, 2 million refugees coming to your country? Yeah. It's your water-scarce country. It's about governance, but I th- think also like the, the Durban area. But I think also, and that maybe is my personal kind of of uh, forward looking, if I would look in the in the crystal ball, what will happen in the future? You mentioned Colorado River and the different uh, systems that intercompete or don't interface with that. We work a lot ourselves with labeling transboundary water management. How you how do you uh, cooperate on common water resources? And mainly we have been dealing with countries. I mean um, the Nile Basin, the Jordan River, or uh, Mekong River, etc. But that's yeah. also for countries like US, it's a big country, we have a state, we have a India, federal government, but I think that mechanism, we, we rely and we build on what used to be maybe installed hundreds of years ago, as you mentioned, or, and I think that is uh, very important also to make, rethink or reallocate how we govern, govern this water, common water resources, because I mean, and that is rather than 
looking at maybe the starting point is how many cubic meters do we get and that should we get but look mm. there's a shared benefit from the shared benefit point of view how can you invest and how can you do it jointly so that is one part of our water diplomacy work that we are running so i think uh, there are a lot of governance aspects and uh, all from public but i think also in the management in in the in from the from the private sector and I think, uh, an economist myself, that some ways, of course, you do um, react or you're on price mechanism, that is for sure. And I think yeah. uh, to a large extent, water is underpriced if you look at the value of water, the real value of water, because the value of water you realize when you don't have water. <laughs> uh, but my estimation, but maybe early days, because water pricing is such a scattered around the world, but I could see that we have differentiated more price differentiation in the future that uh, the main big users pay not only the same kind of bill for per cubic meter or whatever it gallon, yeah. but there are also you 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 price water nowadays at least in this country you don't price water you price the provision of water it's only yeah. cost pricing and you should not make a profit on water that is said in, 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 in the law in Sweden, I think in Lamarckheim, and it's also a, a human right. Yeah. But you should not, that is my thing, you cannot compare human right to water to a free right for for the main water users, which are not our, us in the households, we use maybe 15% of the water on a daily basis, mainly yeah. food production, energy production, industrial production. So I think, I foresee, I, 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 I would, rather estimate that we will see some changes in pricing structure in the future. And because now, I mean, just an example, we do underprice water because in Europe, I think also US and other parts of the OECD countries we do, we had we do have a lot of leakages in our water systems. It's incredible, isn't it? And yet, you know, you, you cite London then. I, I look at yeah. um, the example of, you know, I think of just a few months ago, the UK government is saying that we're going to think about building a big pipeline to bring water down from Wales, Scotland, north of England, because the south of England is is suffering and will get worse with climate risk. And I think on the one hand, I'm glad you recognise that. On the other hand, why spend multi-billions of pounds yeah. uh, on a huge pipeline when you haven't yet fixed all the old pipes? Yeah. And that gets on to the next point of technology. I mean, technology can help sort out a lot of these issues, maybe not replace the pipes really easily, but yeah. to more easily identify where leaks are. And I, I wonder, you know, when you look at, uh, to, to wrap up, when you look at all these various issues, whether it's pricing, governance, scarcity, floods, um, how do you think about how technology can play a role in this? Because it seems to me it could be very large. Again, it's about money and it's about desire. And we haven't even got into social issues yet. Uh, maybe we haven't got time. But social issue of Okay, let's let's stop farmers using water for high intensity water crops that don't yield a great deal of money, like wheat. Saudi Arabia's done that, mm -hmm. but you can't really do it everywhere because there's a social impact on the farmers. But technology, to go back to technology, technology can help surely to with with a lot of these issues we've got and help bringing it back to investors and banks help them to get into that business and 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 you know recognize that there is a uh, money to be made helping with the water industry. Yeah, well, I think. Uh I anticipate that we will see more of technological advancements in the future, but that is also closely linked to our behavioral change, because I think it's not only that you and I do we shower less or do we, what do we do with water in our households, but also mm. from the behavioral change in, in, the, in, the, in the main water users. I, there are some examples uh, where we do sect 
technological improvements, food production, for instance. Uh, India, 25 of energy on a daily basis here for pumping stations, pumping water into irrigation schemes, large irrigation right. schemes. That is the green revolution of India. What happens? Right. More or less, groundwater is depleted in a number, yes. of, number of states. So there was, I know from uh, one of our sister organizations in IVMI in Sri Lanka, they had, a, I think, a study made in one state in India where they, and that is the closely linkages between energy and water, they introduced off-peak and on-peak pricing of water, on, on energy, meaning rather than have 24 hours, uh, seven days a week, pumping the same amount of water through the system, they reduced it uh, uh, when the peak or when the peak prices on energy was set, meaning that they used started to use less water. But the yield was the same. They didn't have a, They had a lower bill on energy. The yield was the same. So that was one part. One quite interesting example: how you can uh, make a behavior change on water, but not in water, but go into the energy. <laughs> Right. Second one is, of course, uh, um, drip irrigation. And there are companies here in Stockholm as well, Waterweek and uh, around the world also looking to make use of the scarce water resources you have by drip irrigation. Quite sophisticated systems nowadays. Of course, it's cost, but I, I hope and I do see that uh, as energy drives this as well, I mean, with solar power um, uh, use, uh, that could also make that uh, more affordable. Uh, we have the we have the um, uh, desalination plants, which are very cost expensive due to energy costs. Mm. But even if I go to the Gulf region nowadays, even if they do have oil, they start to invest now in in also solar uh, power driven uh, diesel plants, and that also will be very uh, to advantage of uh, Pacific Islands, for instance, which yeah. not only sea level rise but also lacking fresh water. We are now starting from our point of view together, of course, with a number of partners, but mainly in Africa. On, on, because I think when it comes to food production, water, Africa is the main challenge. With the rapidly increasing population from one to four billion over the next hundred years, and, uh, mm. and you cannot irrigate, you cannot large scale irrigate Africa, if I take it as a continent, I mean, 55 countries, but as you did in, in India and Asia, because the topography is so different. And what we yeah. learned, and that is our approach now, is to looking into how can we make use of, of course, when there are possibilities of irrigation, of course you should use it, but go back maybe to use uh, traditional or non-traditional, rainwater harvesting, etc., to make use of the rainwater and to store it and to have that for plants. And there are quite interesting examples now in a number of countries in Sahel region, Ethiopia and elsewhere where they start to do this. But if you do it on a massive scale with five to seven hundred billion of farmers, then you really could have a, a, a growing food production in Africa, feeding the right. population. But that is maybe not uh, rocket science technology, but I think there could be a combination of new technology using what maybe used to be the case uh, uh, earlier on uh, in, in that sense. So uh, technology will play a very critical role in the future, combined with incentive systems that could also drive climate, uh, behavioral change. Uh, and in, on a large scale, I think it's also the, the economics of scale in, 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 in this sense, yeah.
Right. Okay. Well, um, Tony, thanks so much for coming on. I'm, I'm going to uh, let you go now. I know you've got an exceptionally busy week. I'm looking forward to attending some of the panels myself, and we'll be reporting back on that a bit later on. But Tony, again, thanks very much for coming on the, the exchange. Oh, thanks a lot. It was most interesting discussion. Thank you. <laughs> That's our show for this week. Thanks again to Torgny Holmgren for coming on and thanks to our fantastic producers for another fine show. That's Andrew D'Antonio and Freddie Joyner. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Please do subscribe to The Exchange and our sister show, The Views Room, on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And please do tune in next time for another edition.